Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Supported by thegeldedend.com. To browse and buy vintage lead shirts, player-signed prints, and classic memorabilia, go to thegeldedend.com. The Square Ball. By the fans, for the fans, since 1989. To buy the magazine, read the blog, and to download the podcast, visit thesquareball.net. It's 50 years since Don Revy took over at Leeds United, and we take a look back at his legacy in this edition of the Square Ball podcast. We hope Billy Painter leaves more of a legacy than the one goal, but we'll look back at that too, plus all the usual Square Ball nonsense. Hello, welcome to this 26th Square Ball podcast. Hello from me and Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White. Hello there. And Oddie. Hello. This podcast, as you already know, is entitled One Don Revy, and normally we come up with the podcast titles somewhere down the line, normally just as we're about to upload the thing to the server and stick it on iTunes, but we know well in advance what this one's going to be called. It's going to be One Don Revy. Probably because we're speaking about our greatest ever manager a little bit later on in the pod to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his appointment at Ellen Road and it seems like a very worthy occasion to commemorate. Before we get round to that then, let me tell you about the Squareball magazine. Issue 8 of the magazine went on sale at the weekend against Ipswich. It's also going to be on sale at the Forest Game. You can buy it online now in paper format at thesquareball.net. You can also get the digital download option on there as well which is delivered straight to your desktop as a PDF, is free of postage costs, so it makes lots of sense if you want to get it straight away. Also on the website, at thesquareball.net, is the new blog. Go have a look at that. Have a nosy around. Tell us what you think. You can get in touch with us via podcast at thesquareball.net, grab us on Facebook, and you can tweet us at thesquareball. Part one is whitewatching, so let's do that now then. Three games to cover in this fortnight, starting off with the 5-2 victory against Doncaster on the 5th of March, followed by the win at Preston on the 8th, that's the Tuesday, and the nil-nil on the weekend just gone against Ipswich. So it started off with a thorough spanking. Eventually. We should have buried them by half-time, really. There were loads of chances, wasted chances, and then we allowed them back into the game. Yeah, we were throwing Olays in at 1-0, and then <laughs> within five minutes of the second half, we seemed like we might actually somehow lose it. Has anyone ever not been punished for Olaying in the first half? <laughs> Particularly at 1-0 this season, we should have, uh, have learned our lesson. But we got there in the end and 
I've never seen such a, uh, a flattering five-two for the opposition. It could have, it could quite easily have been ten. There was almost um, palpable air of frustration when Doncaster went ahead when Gradle came back and got the ball straight out of our net of, of just kind of. Well, we're not having this. <laughs> Put the ball down, give it to House, and two-two. Right. <laughs> Game on. Yeah, let's let's sort this out, and that that did um, uh, seem to change it. Grader was very good whole game. In fact, we were we were brilliant, all of them, the whole game. Part of the defence, uh, obviously. Yeah, the two big switch-offs. The, the frustrating thing was that they didn't actually create any chances. They just managed to score two goals from us completely falling asleep, not being able to defend, which is par for the course this it season, really. Their first goal, especially, was. It was almost like you could hear Casper and the defenders all laying as they were passing it to each other, and it's never gone there. That wasn't wasn't a wise way to go. I think Casper may be slightly to blame for the goal as well because he came off his line part of the way and then checked back, and by that stage he'd, he'd left it too late. At least the attackers are all still as good as we thought they were. At least they were against Doncaster. We'll come to Ipswich in a minute, but we can't really argue with five goals. Yeah, well, the first Donny goal came about from a Casper error, I thought, because we got a free kick. Just inside our own half, so Johnson he calmly passed it back to Schmeichel to keep keep possession. He absolutely welled it at McCartney, and it went out for a throw in. And from there, we just knew they were going to score. It was just obvious. Yeah, there was, it ruined half time for everybody. It I think. Did, yeah. it was, it, the sight of Ben Fry soon cheered me up there. Was there a slight annoyance at the fact that Billy Sharp scored as well? Yes, a little we, bit. You know, but we, he's in irrelevance. Let's not let's not worry about him. We scored five, so whatever Billy Sharp did doesn't really matter to me. It's nice that we seem to have properly now, um, well, this may go out the window when we lose Sheffield United, but redress the balance of being the proper team in Yorkshire again. Because for a while we've been we've been struggling and the likes of Doncaster have unfortunately managed to uh, somehow get ahead of us. So. Still not happy with our uh, season's total against Barnsley, though. No. I would have liked for more at the start <laughs> of the year. And probably not conceding eight goals. Yeah. But, you know, we look on the sunshiny side of, of jolly, fun stuff. We won, by, we scored five and won convincingly and, and everybody went home cheerful and bright. Well, you certainly did, didn't you? <laughs> um, t- tell the listener about your uh, your journey. <laughs> how you got home after the Doncaster game? Well, I can't really tell anybody about how I got home because I don't really remember much of what happened um, after the Doncaster game. But I, I made my way from a... City Centre hostelry to either Bramley or Horsforth. I'm not sure <laughs> which, but um, um, several... Um, was this on a train? I don't know. <laughs> when I started remembering things again, I was leaning against the wall when I sort of became aware of my surroundings. And then um, I tried to walk home from wherever I was, um, but I couldn't really walk more than about 50 yards without falling flat on my face. And... Um, so I sort of cuts on my hands out. I'll show Oddie the not great radio, but scab on my leg. That's, that is a scab on his leg. Yeah, confirms it. And I, um, yeah, and I, I tried to hail the taxi. Obviously, they weren't having it, and I actually sent them away. I, I what were the words you said to the taxi driver? Um, I, I said I wouldn't let me in your cab um, <laughs> if I were you. Um, and then the next, uh, the next car that stopped for me was a police car, and they were very, they were very kind to me. And um, even though I couldn't remember where I'd been. Or, um, and it took me a long time to remember where it was I wanted to go. Um, <laughs> for my own safety, they decided they would they would be kind and take me there. So thank you to uh, West Yorkshire Police for uh, for their indulgence and apologies if I if I ran into you um, between about seven pm and ten pm on uh, 
<laughs> the evening of Saturday the 5th. I didn't mean it, whatever happened. <laughs> it won't happen again. It will. I'm it an will. absolute idiot. <laughs> uh, on to the Tuesday then, by which time I think you may have sobered up. Over to Preston, we won 2-1. Avenged to a degree the 6-4 ridiculous game earlier in the season at Ellen Road. An amazing game. A Tuesday night, a win. Kilkenny, painter. That's Kilkenny who you said can't shoot. Can't last, shoot. Last time we were on the podcast. Yep. Yeah, he blazed on in from 20 yards. He shot it, didn't he? <laughs> he definitely did. He hit that ball really hard. <laughs> it wasn't really hard still. He was pleased though, wasn't he? He didn't look very happy. <laughs> His little impish face. <laughs> <laughs> he was lining it up though, because he had a couple of shots um, against Donny as well. I think he listens to the podcast. I think he must do. Do you think he hates Michael? Uh, if he did that to spite me, then good. I shall slag him off some more. I think he has actually lifted his performances the last few games. I don't know if it's um, the arrival of Bannon has, has scared him into uh, putting in a bit more work. Might have shaken off some of that uh, Qatari um, leg- legacy. Legacy? Legacy. <laughs> Tiredness. <laughs> <laughs> so, that might have been dragging him down since he came back. Do you mean lethargy? I don't know what I mean. I'm having flashbacks <laughs> last Saturday, so... <laughs> And another duck broken for Billy Painter, getting his first goal for the club. Didn't he do well? A brilliant goal as well. Swerving through think, the defence. I think because it's been so long, everyone expected the first goal to go in off his ass, as they always say. But um, yeah, an amazing strike. I, d- I didn't quite realise at the time how good it was, but um, yeah, it was about the only place he could have hit it that the keeper couldn't have reached. So. And he, he seemed relieved about it as well. He did a kind of wiping his brow celebration. Well, he was able to... We were still at the point where we were enjoying the... Uh, Come on, Billy! Songs before it really became purely sarcastic. <laughs> he, he managed to get the goal in early enough for him to thank us for our support instead of thanking for us, us for being a bunch of piss-taking bastards. Yeah, there was still genuine good, still genuine goodwill in it, rather than people thinking just play someone else. <laughs> well, we didn't um, we didn't make it too easy though. I mean, two 0 would have been a, a, a unheard of result, but I suppose we had to give them a chance for the second half. Yeah, I mean, their their goal was a, obviously a really good strike from distance. It was, it's not a defensive error for a change. Every but. goal's a defensive error, Michael. <laughs> this is Leeds United. We've got standards. But I was still worried at the end when we seemed to be defending really narrow and just allowing them cross after cross. And it seemed only a matter of time until one had eventually break them and they'd get the equaliser. And a break from tradition for Simon Grayson to bring on a defender to shore it up towards the end, which is not in... Is it, is, it, is it a sign that we're starting to get twitchy and we'll take a point? You know, just... Naylor did used to be a striker, though, so he could have gone either way. If he'd, if he'd brought him on and then thought, actually, fuck it, go up front, Nails. And then... <laughs> he did bring him on at the end of the uh, Donny game as well. I think we had uh, three minutes injury time to play. And you're thinking, we can't lose three goals in three minutes, can we, surely? Is so... anybody actually pleased to see Richard Naylor again? It's not like having Kiz Norbo back, is it? It's well, not, but I'm he's, pleased he's, to see him. He's going to bring he's a, nice guy. a bit of vocal talent to the, to the back line because they, they seem very quiet back there sometimes and maybe that's part of the problem, not communicating properly because for all, Casper's a great shot stopper. I do worry that he doesn't talk to his defence enough. He does after a goal. Gives him a right old bollocking after after made a mistake. Keyword there being after, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's keen to talk to linesman after a goal as well. Yeah. It'd be nice to see some sort of preemptive. let's call it organisation, shall we? Mm-hmm. And then on to Saturday just gone, a bizarre thing that we've not seen for a long, long time, what they call a nil-nil against Ipswich. Becchio left on the bench to the consternation of some. Was that an error or is it justified in that Painter's earned his chance because he scored? I thought Painter played quite well, so it's hard to criticise him too much for that, but no goals maybe tells a story. 
It was a difficult one because, I mean, especially with the goal for paint having taken so long to come, you couldn't sort of say, right, you've really got to put your head down, work hard. When that goal eventually comes, I will drop you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really, so it was sort of inevitable that he... I wasn't surprised that he started. I also wasn't that surprised that he didn't score, really. But um, the biggest surprise was it took it took so long for him to be substituted. Ah, uh, referee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the referee. Again. Darren Deadman. <laughs> Friend of the club. Is he? Uh, uh, well, isn't he the same guy who at Gillingham sent off Beckford Oh, and is that him? Mm. Yeah, he seemed to completely lose it. He, he lost all faith in his own decisions because I think the crowd were getting on his back and he, yeah. didn't, he didn't seem to know what quite where to put himself. Even Jimmy Bullard was laughing at him. <laughs> the, the last thing you need is a referee having an existential crisis on the pitch. It was, he, had yeah. a little, he had a little panic. I think he was considering retirement and then he went over and had a word with Grayson to make himself look important to try that, try and regain a bit of um, authority. That's quite a good photo as well of Grayson absolutely just yelling at him by the touchline. I think they've caught him mid mid course. <laughs> he tried to stamp his mark on the game quite early because he booked Painter for a, a challenge in the first few minutes and then let their centre-half climb all over Painter for the last the next uh, 20 minutes. Not, yeah. to, not to mention booking O'Brien for being on the pitch. Yeah, for think. running after someone and then while, while the man yeah. fell over. Bizarre decision. Yeah. And the um, the offside flag that he played advantage to Ipswich even though it was one of their players that was offside. That was bizarre. Does beg a question, you know. Obviously, the song's gone up recently. We we only get shit refs. Do you think that only shit refs exist now, or are there actually any good ones about? I don't think they are. Struggle to find them. I mean, we criticise them a lot. They don't have an easy job. Granted, players. Well, they don't do make it easy for themselves the either, do they? I mean, but no, I think that a lot of refs would benefit from not trying to make themselves the star of the show. Which I don't think this guy did particularly. He seemed more willing to. Shirk than make himself make himself the uh, the star of it. Paul Jewell thought it was good anyway. <laughs> At least somebody did. Yeah, but we know about Paul Jewell's standards. I mean, his, his taste in films just tells you all you need to know about his taste in most other things. The only other thing to mention was um, there was a copy of the Sun kicking around in my office today, and their report of the game consisted of three quarters of it talking about Kieran Dyer saying how he's back and he's still good, which is completely inaccurate because he was rubbish and he can't run anymore. Um, and then the last bit was about Barry Bannon, and they didn't mention the, the game at all. They've clearly just not sent a reporter, but then filled the page with some pointless Tittle conjecture tackle. about Kieran Dyer. Assumed he would have done well. Yeah. That's Kieran Dyer. Yeah. He, he was terrible, though. No, I was, I was absolutely us. amazed at how poor he was. Remember when we were in for him? Yeah. Everyone yeah. thought we were going to sign Seven him. million. Ah, oh, the horror. The horror. We should, maybe if we'd bought him, it we'll might have been over so much now. earlier. <laughs> we bought him. Completed 15 90-minute games in the past five years. Wow. I read about him. So that's value for money. So to pull it all together, seven points from nine, a good return at this stage of the season. And I guess we can view these games in, in the wider context of the season as it's coming to the business end. We're shaping up like we might just, you know... You're obsessed with the business end. But I, I actually mentioned the business end because I mentioned it as a cliche last time. I pity your poor wife. <laughs> I'm not married. The seven points has look, been made to look better as well by everyone around us dropping points because there's been some quite unlikely results thrown in there during the last few games. So, so we're yet again within touching distance of second. Well, we'll talk about what's sort of coming up and how we're going to view the, the promotion push in the, in the back end of the, the podcast because we've only got the one game to preview. So we'll do that then. To wrap this up, are we happy with these, uh, these three games? Yeah, we've played well. 
Given for a nil-nil draw, we, I think the second half we battered them. So I think seven points out of nine. If you look back at what's actually happened, we, we scored five against Doncaster. We won on a Tuesday night. Billy Painter scored. Neil Cook only scored. And we kept a clean sheet. So it's unheard of, this kind of level of magic. Seven, if we can get seven points from nine until the end of the season, we may well finish second. So we've got to be happy with it. That's one way of looking at it. In this part, then, let's talk about the ins and outs, the loans, predominantly the loans, and the trialists and whatnot. Eric Lehigh now until the end of the season. Thumbs up, thumbs down. He's done all right. He seems to get forward well, but his final ball normally lets him down. But, you know, he's the only right-back we've got who's fit, so and he's done all right. So no linking well with Snodgrass. We can thank Snoddy for that. I think so. Not giving this loan any much credit. <laughs> and another one to join us from Villa, obviously the, the midfield signing that everyone's been uh, clamouring for, including ourselves. Barry Banan? Bannon? Banan. <laughs> Banana. <laughs> it could be. Paul Danan. <laughs> is, is it like a hyacinth bouquet thing? It's actually Banoon. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard him say his name himself. Maybe, so. it, maybe it's Bone. Maybe his name is just Barry Bone. It's just spelt that way. Anyway, he's in till the end of the season and apparently turned down Derby, Forest and Cardiff amongst other suitors. So, again... He must be delighted to have been substitute for the last two <laughs> matches. Joking aside, are we happy with that to see a midfielder come in and, if anything, put pressure on our midfielders? Yeah, definitely. He's played a lot of games this year for Villa and their fans were all irate to see him leave. So. They're irate about everything at the moment, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, anything Julio does, I think. He's, yeah. But he's doing... Poor job. So fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but if they can help us get promoted, then fair play to them. And you played well at this level last year with Blackpool. Did the same job. Yeah. Another one possibly on the news wires, we might have a sniff around from Villa, Richard Dunn, because he's had a bit of a fallout with Monsieur Houllier, hasn't he? So uh, if there's a chance, would you take him? Yes. He'd be the best defender we've got by a long, long way. He likes the odd on goal, though, doesn't he? Him and O'Brien yeah. centre-half <laughs> together now. Nightmare. We'll maybe um, drop the other ones, just have him. Just, just leave three blanks on the team sheet. Casper in goal, Richard Dunn, and then we'll just leave the midfield and attack as it is. Just going back to Bannon, Banan, uh, have we have we seen enough of him uh, to form an opinion yet, or, or do we think he's going to sort of come to the fore over the course of the next few games? I've seen enough of him to make jokes about his name, but um, no, we haven't seen enough. Against Preston, he came on when, when it was the last ten minutes and we were defending, and I don't think that's particularly what we what we've got him for. He seems happy to run with the ball through the centre of midfield, which nobody else does. Housen does it further up the pitch, but to have someone running from deep, he, he does look like he maybe offers something different there, but we've not seen a great deal. Do you think we still lack a destroyer in there? Well, we Some... haven't signed one, so... <laughs> <laughs> we miss someone who can tackle. Well, apparently this Barry Bone quite likes to tackle from what I've heard about him, so it could just be when he gets a he gets a chance. But we also don't need a long player getting sent off, because... It's different. That, that's something that annoys me. That's just a general gripe in football. If you sign, like when we signed Lee Chapman back in 1996, and he got sent off after 20 minutes, and that was that. <laughs> they have to behave. That was as, always going to end badly, though. Was Chapman? <laughs> well, as we mentioned before, Bowyer, Woodgate, Smith. Just look at the Chapman example. Unless it's Brian Dean, don't don't go back. And there's a possibility of more loanies on the way. They're, they're making those noises now. Obviously, we. We should take it with a pinch of salt, given the length of time it's taken to get a midfielder in. But an encouraging sign that there may be more reinforcements on the way to see us through to the end of the season. A possibility that we're going to peak at the right time, maybe. It's that point of the season where Premiership clubs look, start looking at the fixtures left and thinking, oh, we're more or less safe. 
might as well send out some substitutes to get some proper experience. So hopefully as as the Premiership gets down to, to just a few teams in the relegation battle, we can start picking up a few of the mid-table stragglers. A couple of quick mentions then. Ian Snodding's son, 17-year-old Jordan, has signed on as a scholar at uh, Thorpe Arch. Good news, another Snodding in the ranks. Yes, yeah. there's a tradition there. I don't think we know anything about him other than that he is a Snod. He's got Snod blood running through his veins. Good enough for me. <laughs> Does he have a mullet, though? I mean, mullets have sort of come back into fashion since Glyn and Ian were striding resplendent around Elland Road pitch. If he's got a mullet, that's fine by me, as long as he matches it up with a tash. Yes. And a nice black leather jacket. (laughs) The car coat. Someone on the uh, other side of the fence, then Mike Grella, as we know, out on loan at Swindon, scored a goal, which is good news. Quite a nice finish as well. Lobbed the keeper as he was coming out. Well, we'll see how he does. At least he's playing and not just in pointless reserve friendlies. Gets him off the internet, doesn't it? Exactly. Uh, Let's talk about the Sheffield United situation. We've got some extra tickets for that then. 1,100 extra tickets have been sent our way. Not the full complement of 5,000. We've got 3,500 for the away match this coming weekend. On the basis that the police can't cope with policing football matches, it would appear. Weird that they've decided to give some extras. They've gone, well, we'll have a bit of trouble. Not much trouble. (laughs) We'll allow allow another 900 as long as they're all nice. Don't send any nutters. (laughs) Makes you wonder, doesn't it, if... If they're sort of thinking, well, we can get this many people on overtime, so therefore it's one police officer to this many fans, so we'll give you that many extra. We should be able to control you, maybe. Yeah, it's a bit late in the day as well. You thought they'd have been able to sort that out a few months ago. Move on to Ken Bates and his interesting programme notes from the weekend against Ipswich. Yeah, he just... I'm not annoyed by this because he's got form for it. It's just a bit tiresome and unnecessary. Whatever you say about Ken Bates... He's a good businessman. Um, and even if you do think that, you also have to read something like this and say, well, he, he, perhaps he is a good businessman, but he's also a hypocrite because he says... Well, what- so let me just say then, let's not get angry about this at any point during reporting this. Let's just deal with the hypocrisy and move on. There's no anger. It is just, you know, listen to the words of a hypocrite. <laughs> As he says, um, uh, the Leeds United Supporters Club are his, his target this week, who are a somewhat anonymous organisation who have declined to reveal their membership or their accounts. Now, can you? Can anybody... Here's a, a quiz for all the listeners at home. Can anybody think of another somewhat anonymous organisation who has declined to reveal its membership that's somehow related to Leeds United and perhaps has some involvement if, that Ken Bates may have heard of them at all? Anybody? Well, should we put that one out there and see what we get back? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does he have the brass neck to talk about somewhat anonymous organisations when... We'll refer you to the um, organisational chart that we did on the square ball for who uh, who who owns Leeds United. We don't know. We've, you know, they're somewhat anonymous to say the least. Um, and then he blathers on about the old peacock not making as much money as Billy's bar. It's like, well, great, you're an old man with a slightly larger penis than the people over the road. Well done. Thanks for letting us all know. And then he he mentions that letter that he once got. If anybody at Leeds United Media wants to produce that letter where somebody said that we should reduce the ticket prices and buy Messi, we hear an awful lot about it from Ken. We've never actually seen the letter. Just publish the damn thing. It never stops being funny, does it, that joke about Messi? (laughs) I don't even think it's a joke. It genuinely seems to upset him that um, that he's invented this letter and is now annoyed about it. If he didn't invent it, just show us. Anyway. And there's also the element of hypocrisy, him criticising the business that is profitable... Um, when you look at the losses, however they've been uh, incurred, of, of Yorkshire Radio. But Billy's Bar made a profit. Admittedly, the, the profit that Billy's Bar made is a sixth of what Yorkshire Radio lost. But that's not the point, <laughs> well, is what Ken would tell you. Anybody making a profit on a pub these days is doing well, so the old peacock. 
um, can make two and a half thousand pounds. Fair enough. It's a profit. It's it is a profit, and that's all it needs to be. But I think that's it. It's the brass neck, isn't it? It's the fact that it'll get people annoyed, which is exactly why I, I didn't want us to get annoyed about it and just say it. Highlight like the hypocrisy, and that's it. Got a little bit annoyed. Well, it's the fact that he turns on Leeds fans. He will have a pop at the Peacock. He will have a pop at the Norwegian fans for the memberships. And that's exactly it. I mean, before we can close on it, we have to mention that he says he, he is. Uh, he's still puzzled, says Ken, by their claim they support Leeds United. Haven't seen much evidence of it so far. Well, the evidence is on every match day when all the people in the Peacock who have been drinking in there and helping it to its two and a half thousand pound profit leave and go over the road into your stadium to watch the football team that they all support and that you run. It's not but- his stadium. Okay, that's again. That's club. owned by an anonymous organisation as well. We always get caught out. By <laughs> I don't know how he keeps. He manages to keep track of it. Oh yeah, he doesn't. Um, but on that on that note, what more evidence of support do we need? Well, on that note, let's look at the four words involved in the title of said organisation: Leeds United Supporters Club. Take out the word club, and what are you left with? Leeds United Supporters. Right. I win a biscuit for that one. Exactly. I mean, I've got no particular love for the supporters club. I'm not a member. I don't really mind this way or that, what they do. They've got their critics, rightly or wrongly. But stop attacking Leeds fans. Yeah, you can't deny they are Leeds fans. and Because Leeds fans don't like it, I would say. As I already mentioned, it's like when he had that rant about the Scandinavian fans not being real fans because they won't buy a membership which is absolutely worthless. But yet every single game we do have a lot of them coming over to watch games. So that, that's where they're spending money just because they're not buying his crap. That's the, that's the bottom line really. He'd rather see that £2,500 profit that the Peacock makes going into Village Bar. Offset a loss at the Yorkshire Radio makes. <laughs> Moving on from that one. We've gone on about it for long enough. Um, Let's talk internationals then. Snoddy could be facing the boys from Brazil. Something we'd like to see. Brazil versus Scotland in an upcoming friendly. Where is that taking place? Is it at Arsenal? Or where is it? It's Europe, certainly. That doesn't narrow it down hugely, but... Well, it's better than it from the whole globe. Because he's got form at the Emirates Stadium. You see, Snoddy? Oh, I see where you're going. Well, let's hope it is there. But Again. don't play too well because we want to keep you. Yeah, he's becoming people are not because he was on goals on Sunday at the weekend as well, almost like a like a celebrity or something. I can't get used to the idea of one of our players being interviewed on the telly by somebody again other than Ben Fry. It doesn't seem <laughs> it doesn't seem quite right. Do you think he had permission? <laughs> Maybe he went rogue. He's got his own media representation. <laughs> Maybe he's got Bradley Johnson's agent. And he's just <laughs> going on any outlet that will have him. He clearly is well known about now because both Ipswich and Preston had two men on him for more or less the entire game. Oh, I'm sure Brazil won't pay him such close attention. Well, Norwich were doing the same thing with both him and Gradle, weren't they? Doubling up on mm. every time on both of them. Obviously, it's where our threat comes from, the wide positions. Did anybody watch him on goals on Sunday? I, I've barely got a television, so I, I saw most of it. Uh, I think I went off to get some food at some stage. Yeah, I did. I did watch it. Yeah, it was it was quite intriguing. Interesting what he said about Beckford having had a fallout with uh, Simon Grayson, which you could have, I think, guessed about um, that they had a fallout halfway through last season. I can't um, imagine it was all plain sailing that whole time. And was it to do with the Southampton substitution when he Beckford threw his one sort of noticeable public strop? Well, there were sort of hints about Beckford's character as, as Snodgrass was talking, saying you know he's very much his own man and that sort of thing. So you do sense that maybe he was a little bit of a lone wolf, which. You can kind of understand as an out-and-out striker who got so many goals, perhaps that was the case. You know, he often used to pick the ball up and give it a smack when maybe there were better options around him. So you could almost see that in his character. But maybe if we hadn't had that tension between him and Grayson all through the season, we would have been denied the beauty that was his redemption, <laughs> rising as captain against uh, Bristol Rovers 
and um, producing a, a performance that will be spoken about. Well, I'm sure Grayson will be taking all the credit for it for years. As he well, he should. And on the international front, Ramon Nunes, wherever he is, <laughs> he keeps going off and playing in internationals. I mean, the guy is permanently on holiday and it's Honduras, which can't be that bad. Is it um, another foreign cup? Yeah. <laughs> is it just a foreign friendly this time? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, how, do you think maybe this is one of the reasons he hasn't got in the team? Because Grayson just knows that he, even if he gets in the team and starts playing well, he'll just be off again in a week, just going somewhere else. Got a lot of air miles, I suppose. And um, on the international side as well, Jonathan Housen, it's just been announced, is not in the England under-21 squad this time around. But as we discussed, he is yeah. 22, so he's clearly too old now. But he was too old when he was in it before. <laughs> so I'm sure he still qualifies, but if he was looking at you know that as his future dream. He only got called up as a reserve last time anyway, didn't he? The Square Ball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. <laughs> So a very important anniversary this week. 50 years since Don Revy took over the management of Leeds United. Aged just 33. Um, born in Middlesbrough. Not quite a full Yorkshireman, but we'll let him off. Yorkshire enough for us. He was then. He was then. What can you say? Where do you start with a man who's sculpted the entire legacy of, of Leeds United? It's difficult. It's probably because he's so total when it comes to Leeds United. He just is all of it. It's probably... as a thought then we probably wouldn't be sat here doing this if Don Revy hadn't been our manager because as hard as it is to say we were sort of a club that not that many people really gave a toss about before Don Revy came along. Exactly everything that we hold dear about the club is down to him from the kit we we wear to the things we've won to the reputation we have as dirty horrible bastards. (laughs) (laughs) The fact we're not watching rugby league instead. (laughs) It is worth putting it into context the historical context of what Leeds United was like back at the start of the 60s because Obviously, we're now sort of universally known as a very big club, and it is worth expressing just how much of a mess Leeds United was in. And there's a quote that I've uh, got from the Observer article that was published in 2007. It says that Leeds were a mediocre team in the late 1950s. Their only honour, the Second Division Championship, had been won long ago in 1924, and their ramshackle ground, Ellen Road, bore testament to the city's preference for rugby league. At the end of Revy's second season, they were relegated to Division Two. In his third, they were near bankruptcy with crowds sometimes as low as 8,000. The club were fifth-rate and the players were undisciplined, says Eric Smith, who was signed from Celtic in June 1960. I thought beforehand I was coming to a top club. I found out otherwise in the first three or four days. A quite damning indictment of what Leeds was like pre revy <laughs> yeah. I mean, Leeds had its moments with just sort of bouncing around between the top two divisions, but we were a bit sort of like Bolton are now. Nothing, or Wigan even. In fact, Wigan's probably a better analogy where you've got a town where nobody's everybody just wants to watch rugby a few people go along to see the football when they're doing well no guarantee they're always going to be up there um and it took don Revy to come along player manager at first i think wasn't he and then he uh, already just retired my memory is well the, the the story goes that he was club captain um and he was in the process of applying for the bournemouth job getting a, a reference and in, in getting his reference written by one of the directors it was harry reynolds i think was it um, then started considering for the the Leeds job, which is fantastic. And yeah, aged I love that only story. aged only thirty three. But yeah, I love that story. That, uh, Harry Reynolds was writing a letter saying why he should, how brilliant he was, and why he should have the Bournemouth job. And then, hold on a minute, this guy's so good, um, we should convince him to stay here. It says a lot about him as well that he was able to go from being a player to being a manager with such ease, and to to be amongst the players who had, until that stage had been on on the level with him, to all of a sudden having to look after them, and he seemed to fail instantly turn things around that's one thing that it's maybe worth talking about now because if we're talking about 50 years ago when he 
um, took over was the fact that his playing career was not bad at all. I mean, he he was the he, uh, the Reavy plan. Which, if you ever talk to Manchester City fans about Don Reavy, they all love him because he uh, brought success to them with by copying the Hungarian system of having a striker playing behind the front two. He was the first player in England ever to do that. Um, they called him the Deep Lying Reavy, and um, and he him in concert with a couple of the other players at Manchester City just did that. They organised it. They learnt it from the Hungarians and applied it and just became incredibly successful. So even at the age of like in his twenties when he was a a player, he was doing revolutionary things that were just changing an entire team, just and just bearing all that on his own shoulders, taking it as his own responsibility. So he took over Leeds in the March and then saved the club from relegation that very season. And his first task that summer, of course, was to change us into the famous all-white kit. A massive step. It takes an amazing amount of bottle to take what was essentially a nothing club at the time and then pick the best team in the world and say, we're going to be like them. That's That's my aim. Quite a bold thing to do. I mean, people try and do it now, but backed by billions of pounds of oil money, people come in and think we're going to revolutionise a club in a short space of time. But he did it purely on his own instinct, more or less. Yeah, it was the power of a, a man doing it. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Chelsea, going from what they were uh, when Bates was ruining them in the 90s to what they are now, it's just oil money from Russia. But there wasn't any of that at least. It was the work of a... Pure elbow grease. Of a bloke, yeah. yeah. And if you look back to what Eric Smith said, the quote I just mentioned about the, the club being in a real state, Don Reavy did say later on that it was a dead club and it was rotten to its core echoes of which we sort of saw a little bit when things started to go wrong for Leeds in the Premier League and you know the, the soul fell out of the club didn't it and the- are you are you possibly comparing this to the uh, Kevin Blackwell me and Gary Kelly and Michael Dubry summer <laughs> which there are, I think it, perhaps more the, the other way around I think Kevin Blackwell was trying to say that this was like that then I mean he only really stuck with uh, Jack Charlton out of um, out of that team and even he was um, fortunate we're quoted as calling him a one-man awkward squad, um, which you can still see in Jack Charlton's character to this day. But uh, Billy Bremner was, you know, he was out of position. He was uh, playing outside right, I believe. So he, he stuck Billy Bremner in the in the middle of the park and obviously built a team around him, you know, brought in the likes of Bobby Collins, who was an absolutely huge signing, wasn't he, at the time? Huge bloke. Well, for a tiny bloke, he was a huge bloke, if you know what I mean. I was, I'm always amazed with Bobby Collins that it was... Um, was it Torino who broke his thigh? I can't imagine a broken thigh. That really hurt. Quite a tackle. Yeah. yeah. And he um, he was more angry than hurt, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, 
But yeah, broken thigh. But it's moulding those players into into his um, his dream, his master plan uh, to create that Real Madrid of England, almost. Isn't it? Well, he used them all brilliantly. I mean, the thing with Jack Charlton was it, it's sort of like I can think of a modern version of it would be coming in and turning David Weatherall into Bobby Moore, age 27. Because Jack Charlton was old when Don Revie took over and that's how come he was so awkward because he'd been around for ages and um, felt sort of entitled to certain things and Revie basically stripped him back but then completely turned Rebuilt him into him. a... Yeah, he, like Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> he turned him into a... Um, a World Cup winner. Yeah, better than his brother. Can we draw parallels perhaps with Shankly at Liverpool in terms of building a club from... From scratch, I mean, and you posed the question here, Michael. Who's done it since? I was thinking about this. Yeah, I suppose Bobby Robson did it at Ipswich to an extent, but they were never the force for for the same length of time as we were. I think that's the thing with uh, with what he turned Leeds into was it went on for ages. Like Ipswich, mate, had a couple of good seasons, and then Bobby Robson took over as England manager. But Reeves Leeds, it was ten years of football dominance. Just never a never an occasion when we weren't gonna win the league or win the cup. And also Shankly and Revy had a good respect for each other. And Busby as well, to be fair. I think the three of them got on. I think sort of do like peers in a way. They were the three blokes at the top who were doing similar jobs to each other at, and that constant rivalry. But yeah, the Revy and Shankly thing was um, much closer. Do you think, you know, obviously we should have won more. We were in more finals. Is it perhaps just a symptom of the time that there was obviously a bigger pool of clubs that could win stuff at the time and maybe... Had we lived out that sort of success in a different era, maybe in the more modern times, that we might have won more. I think these days, when people pick and choose the competitions, you can you can focus your energies in one area. But because he wanted to win absolutely everything, we went after it all in every season, which quite often would result in getting to a semi final, a final, and losing the league by a couple of points, um, which was unfortunate for the when you look at the um, the trophy count. But it did mean every year we were we were the team to beat, despite not that maybe not being reflected in the trophies we won. Plus, you were doing that with 13, 14 players, not 20-odd players like teams have to, squads have today. Do you think there's any mileage in the whole superstition side of things that perhaps it was, you know, it's been identified as a, as a character flaw? Stuff like the Gypsy Curse, you know, getting the, the, the Gypsy in from Scarborough in 1971 to lift the curse on the ground. You know, it's superstitious nonsense on the one hand, but in, in another sense, as a football fan, you live and die by your superstitions, don't you? Yeah, I think there's maybe more gets made of it these days thanks to stuff like the Damned United. Um, and that's sort of the way that the era is sort of portrayed at the moment. You're never that far away. It's like you can't ever talk about Don Revie without somebody then immediately going, oh, but he was dark and superstitious, wasn't he? You can't just talk about him being a nice guy anymore. There's, there's, there seems to be an atmosphere at the moment where, I mean, today when we're recording this, it's that um, piece come out in The Guardian criticising Henry Winter's column at the weekend um, about the... Why have you glossed over the uh, the mirror allegations? Yeah, about yeah. why the mirror allegations about corruption weren't mentioned in Henry Winter's piece. And, and it's just like, well, you don't always have to you mention have everything to. about person. And the thing with um, the superstitions is, I mean, the, the gypsy curse thing happened, the lucky blue, blue suit, true, and he used to walk to the end of Elland Road and touch a lamppost and come back every game. But it's not, if you take those things individually, how long did it take to get a gypsy down the ground and have a, apparently she urinated in the four corners to come a weekend, phone her up, come down, pay her, let her go home. It's not, it's, you know, out of 10 years of management of club, did it once. Walk into the lamppost, well, I mean, there's players always insist on coming last out the tunnel, is it? Um, Ince always used to ins- insist on coming out last, didn't he, with his shirt Don't not bring Paul into this <laughs> civilised conversation. I'm trying to think of there was a Leeds player who, who used to um, 
like a more recent one. He used to dress on the left-hand side all the time. I think it was Paul Robinson, actually. He used to put all his, his left clothes on first before he put anything else on. It's something that takes, like, two minutes before a game. But because of this current fad and this kind of fashion for for imagining, not just Leeds United, but I think Leeds and the City in that way as well, it really gets made a lot of. Just going back to his reputation in the media and, and how it's now perceived further down the line, you look at people like... Harry Redknapp, for example, who's absolutely loved by the media, yet he's still facing tax evasion charges. You've got George Graham, the whole Bungs thing. You know, and is it a, is it the fact that we're an unfashionable northern club and you've got the London-based press and you look at those people like Graham, who's always been very London-based, Harry Redknapp, you know, with his Cockney, friendly Cockney image, that something doesn't quite add up, does it? And it seems unfair. It wasn't just the, the London press, it was the FA um, and the particular people at the FA as well who absolutely hated Don Reeve even before he became England manager. There was just that was one of the reasons why the fines from the FA were always harsher than anybody else got and uh, the stadium being closed uh, was was a given as soon as there was any trouble because Leeds and Reeve in particular were seen as disrespectful to the establishment and absolutely just hated by the people who were running football and uh, and when you're not just up against newspaper columnists but you're actually up against the establishment the people who are in charge of the whole sport you you're probably going to come off with um, at least a couple of black eyes if not a very badly bruised it's, reputation it's, it's an unwinnable battle isn't it and then review did make his own mistakes as well which can't be denied but don't always have to be but when you're framing it against the fa who, who even to this day are not known for being sensible and you look back to the you know, they're known for being cocks, really, aren't they? Well, yeah. <laughs> historically, all through well, well, historically, and even now, you yeah. know, it's worth mentioning as well in to time with the superstition that Frawley did all that that stuff with the lucky suit. He was also well ahead of his time in that he would actually look at opposition players and act to counter specific threats, which other managers at the time didn't particularly do. And you know, this is going way before Sam Allardyce and his pro zone and his. Uh, well, yes, it's, his it's, beco- it's become the norm, hasn't it, with pro zone yeah. and stuff like that, and dossiers and like you know, Mourinho being a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, I've read, I saw a um, tactical report from a, a scout that was written for Mourinho's Chelsea, and the level of detail it confused the life out of me. Um, and that was what Reeve was doing um, in 1970 when no one else was doing it. And it goes back again to him changing football when he was a player. He was always thinking ahead of everybody else and then not just thinking ahead of everybody else, but doing it ahead of everybody else. There's echoes, I guess, in a way of Howard Wilkinson in terms of his uh, approach towards the minute details of picking out opposition players to watch, um, you know, tactical nuances and stuff like that. Do you think what Wilkinson tried to do when he came in was arguably the same as Don Reeby, but on a smaller scale? I mean, famously, he took all the pictures down, didn't he, when he when he took over to to lift the burden of history a little bit? I think that's exactly what um, Wilkinson thought he was doing. I mean, one thing, um, it didn't make it into the um, final version of the interview we published, but one thing he said near the start was that when he arrived at Leeds, there was a lot of people around who thought they were still playing for Reeby's Leeds United. And there was just that atmosphere that nobody had really realised what it was like now. They were all stuck in that mindset. And it reminds you of what you were saying about how Leeds United was in the 50s when before Evie took over, that it, it did just need a strong personality to come and just uh, just rip everything down and start again, which is what both... Well, um, Clough tried it, didn't he, famously, but he, was, you know, was, he, was he the right man at the wrong time, maybe? This is where it goes back to Liverpool. That Liverpool, at the time, everything was going well. They appointed from within, and it, they managed to just continue the success, whereas we took a complete 180 it was a turn sea change, it. wasn't it? Yeah. And, well, there was an interesting aspect in that 
with Reavy and Leeds United. Even at Leeds United, he wasn't particularly popular. Um, and it was in, in Henry Winter's um, column at the weekend where he's interviewed Lord and Lady Harewood, who were the Lord Harewood's the president of the club. Sort of how the um, the chairman at that time, after Harry Reynolds had gone, didn't really, they didn't like Don Reavy, they didn't like the power he had at Elland Road. They thought that they should be running things. And, you know, it was Don Reavy. He ran Leeds United, but you had all these directors and people going around going, well, I don't see why Don should be making these sort of decisions. And like, what does he want to sign this player for? Well, we'll not let him. And um, to the point that when he resigned for the um, England job, they took his car back off him. They're like, well, that's a Leeds United car. You can't, you can't keep that. Send it, send it back. Pop the keys through. And he was just never, never really appreciated. And so as soon as he'd gone, even though he said, "I'm going," give Johnny Giles the job. They were like, "Well, I'm not sure." This. What does Don Reavy know about appointing a football manager? We'll get, we'll get that nice Mr. Clough. And looking back, it makes you balmy that the people, not just at the FA, but the people at our own club, decided to go against what Don Reavy told them just to prove a point. And it shows as well against. I mean, it's no wonder. I guess he, he had some paranoid um, elements to his personality and took solace in superstitions when. I mean, it's all right being paranoid when people really are out to get you, especially the people who are supposed to be your mates. Just going back to the legacy side of things, I grew up in the 80s and first started going <laughs> around 82, 83, and it felt like we were hanging on to the coattails of that um, of that era. To use a cliche, it is a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, we don't ever want to forget Don Reavy and what he did for the club. And, the, you know, um, we'll talk about the statue in a second, the proposed statue. And it's right that the cops should be named after him. We've got to have the statue of Billy Bremner there. These things are really, really important. But at the same time, living in the shadow of them has never done us any good. There's always got to be that balance between um, respect and reverence for the achievements of our greatest. I mean, we're never going to get a better manager. It's not going to happen. So we can never really ignore, forget him or ignore him, nor should we. But we also can't always just do everything thinking about Don Reavy. And his team, it's we shouldn't be frightened of, and that's what Wilkinson taught us: is that we shouldn't be frightened of taking all the pictures down when we have to create your own history, sort of thing. Yeah, and starting starting again almost almost from scratch because it was almost too close to have that hanging over your shoulder to start something afresh. Yeah, what Wilco was doing. We can't be in the shadow of it. That's the important thing, but it should always be near. Well, it's nice to see a little bit of balance being redressed in terms of the fact that we're going to get a statue up and not before time. And on the note of the uh, the statue, uh, we should give mention to the fact that there is an evening being put on by the Supporters Club with Alan Clark and Terry Urath at Middleton Conservative Club. It's taking place this coming Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, 7.30 till 11.30. It's a tenor in. Also, Paul Trevelyan's going to be there. Auction of memorabilia, question and answer session. And if you want to take part in that, you can email lufctrust at ntlworld.com. And finally, we should say that issue nine of the Square Ball magazine, which will be out for the Watford game, we will be covering Don Revy and looking back on the 50-year anniversary of him taking over as manager at Leeds United. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Only the one game to forecast in this section this time out then because we've got an international week on the horizon. And that game is the Yorkshire Derby, another one coming up thick and fast, away at Bramall Lane. This mostly, coming sa- Mostly thick. Yes, this coming Saturday. So, second bottom, struggling. They've got Doyler, got Collins playing. Should we just sit here and laugh for a while? Yeah. <clears throat> no, because the second we start yeah. underestimating... We've got seven points out of nine. <laughs> the second we start underestimating Sheffield United is the second we'll lose. We nearly got um, Mickey Adams in after 
O'Leary, sort of that era, O'Leary, Venables, Reed. people were saying, Mickey Adams is good, came from Leicester. It's not gone well for him, has it, since arriving from top of the league, Port Vale? Hit one win in 15 games or Maybe something? Maybe 16. Maybe 16. He's yeah. a massive Blunts fan as well, I think he let his heart rule his head. Probably Almost like did. Grayson when he came from Blackpool, except Grayson didn't cock it up. <laughs> Yeah, you've, you've got oh, to feel no, Grayson that. did his best because Grayson signed uh, Doyler and um, Collins <laughs> and yet still managed not to cock it up. And then managed to offload them. Yeah. I think what's becoming apparent this season is that Grayson built a team to survive. His, his transfer dealings in the summer were with a view, an eye to survival and we've way, you know, way surpassed that expectation and now he's maybe looking at slightly better quality of player. I think it's also becoming apparent this season that uh, Sheffield United are going down <laughs> quite hard. <laughs> Really, really badly. It's gonna. It, it's oh god! Can you? They're just on a downward spiral, and it's, there's no hope for them. Really, Sheffield as a whole is on a downward. downward it is spiral. a whole. <laughs> it is worth saying for anybody who's not either from Leeds or Yorkshire or indeed this country that they really don't like us, do they? I mean, they. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, another Yorkshire club. They're not keen on us probably because we're nearby, but Sheffield United really don't like yeah, us. That's right. They've also got two men suspended. For this one, I've, I mean, I've been down to nine men by half time on the weekend. Who are they, these players? One of them is Henderson, and the other one, I cannot remember the name. Mm. An angry winger. What's he got to be angry about, just having to wear their horrible kit? Having to play in front of Neil Collins. Collins that nearly nearly uh, scored a blinding own goal again on the weekend as well. He completely <laughs> sliced a clearance, which the, I think the keeper managed to save, but then he palmed it straight onto the head of their striker. <laughs> That's how they actually lost, isn't it? Was, did they lose... Did they concede any more apart from that, or was it just Collins? Yeah, I think, I think it ended quite a comfortable defeat, but that was the first goal. He did his bit. He, <laughs> he, he really set things off. Agent Collins. <laughs> you know, we sort of mulled over, as everybody has been doing this season, about what has been going wrong defensively for Leeds. And we identified, obviously, that statistically we were a lot worse with Collins in the side uh, than not. Is this starting to look like a very realistic viewpoint that he's shit? He's bloody dreadful. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Mm. He was crap in League One, mainly. I know the whole team was performing badly towards the end of last season, but he had a few shocking games even then. I don't think anyone was remotely sad to see him leave. I think signing him was just kind of a, may as well get him, because we know what he is and Andy O'Brien. He asked nicely, didn't he, as well? He <laughs> just thought, after we'd had him on loan, he was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to stay. I like Yorkshire. Okay. <laughs> All parts of Yorkshire. Check out South Yorkshire, you loser. Um, that's where McSheffrey <laughs> went wrong. He just yeah. assumed... Yeah, you'd get, you'd get a contract. See, that's what you've got to do, McSheffrey. He's got to put the uh, put the work in. Yeah, and I think when we signed Collins, there wasn't really much of a clue that we'd be able to sign Andy O'Brien. He's like Branko Barese compared to uh, Neil Lillard Collins. Two L's, don't they? You think, you think his desperation to stay at Leeds, you think he actually changed his name just to add some extra L's in there just to prove that he really liked us? Yes, definitely. Um, so, our other bet noir, Doyler, he's... Uh, He's in the side at Sheffield as well. You'd have to have a heart like a swinging brick not to like Michael Doyle. Don't You don't have to think he's any good at football or anything like that, but don't hate on the Doyler. He's all right. <laughs> he's, he's not McSheffrey. He's the innocent part in all this. It is worth poking around on the Sheffield United forums if you can uh, raise yourself to do so. Have a look and see what they think of both Doyle and Collins because it's not a very favourable reaction to either. I hear Doyle does a lot of work for charity. Well, he looked after McSheffrey. Very, very charitable to most of the other teams in this division as well. So after all this derision of Sheffield United, we're clearly going to lose now. Because nah. it'll be the one game of season that they're really, really up for. So, so what? We should have enough for 
to beat them now, shouldn't we? We've, we've got to get into this stage of the season, back in the mix for automatic promotion. We should beat this team. They were crap at Ellen Road as well. In fact, I think they were that crap at Ellen Road, even though we had Collins in defence. They didn't score. <laughs> <laughs> I think and I think this is the time, because a lot of the debate lately is who should play up front and what formation should we play? Becchio or Samo Painters come in, McCormack's on the bench. I think this is the opportunity to settle it once and for all and just play all four. <laughs> just don't worry about the rest of it. Our defence is pretty crap anyway, so... Let's win 10-9. Yeah, yeah, just stick them all on, see what happens. OK, well, we won't dwell too much on the Sheffield game because it's the only fixture in this fortnight. Uh, Forest coming up after that as we head towards April. Because we mentioned Doyle and you mentioned McSheffrey, I guess it leads us nicely into any other business and the fact that A.D. Boothroyd today has been sacked at Coventry. He's going to be having a crisis, isn't he, McSheffrey? Another person's left him. <laughs> He's going to have abandonment issues. This is it. If Boothroyd doesn't keep in contact throughout his period of unemployment, McSheffrey will be, yeah. <laughs> While he continues to draw his handsome wage for uh, for doing absolutely nothing at Coventry, McSheffrey will be upset and we expect we'll hear him in the Coventry Telegraph crying about the poor management skills of a dull scum Boothroyd. <laughs> I mean, you look back to the playoff final when we were at Cardiff and they outdid us, didn't they? And Boothroyd was in charge then at Watford. You know, is this, is this something of a sea change? Has the culture changed now in terms of formations, tactics, styles of play? Where I think maybe Boothroyd just got a bit lucky and considered himself to be the next England manager on the basis <laughs> of getting Watford promoted. I was going to say, yeah. the frightening thing is people were taking him seriously as future England managers. Like Peter Taylor, who's just left Bradford. He, he managed England. And now look at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah but he, also, we didn't set up at Cardiff. So. No, I know we didn't, but in terms of how they set out, and you know. He dropped lucky. That he, he, he had Marlon King, who was in the form of his life. Ashley Young and Ben Foster, who turned out to be England internationals in the team. And who did we have? Paul Butler. Paul Butler and Eric Backer and some other old knackered people and there's a reason why long ball football also gets called percentage football it's because more often than not it will be successful just because getting the ball up their end more of the time than it is at your end so there's more chance of you, you're going to score but can only last so long and it's a shame he's left because Grayson's got a really good record against him since he came in when he was at Colchester and then this year at Coventry I oh. like Boothroyd <laughs> keep him in a job just to actually have just to Disprove my own point. I've just realised that QPR are top of the league and they basically do the same thing under Warnock. So I don't think that's quite fair on Warnock. I think he's pragmatic without being one-dimensional. I think there's an element with um, Warnock's QPR that sort of it keeps reminding me of Wilkinson's Leeds, where they're just really hard and fast. They aren't they're playing pumping it long without thinking about it. They just they're just really good at getting the ball up the other end and winning it and scoring. Bastards. They're going to need and, to um, win some more games when they get some points, docs. I was just about to say they're going to they're going to need to uh, step it up when the Football League imposes uh, inevitable minus 15 at the very least. It'll be very, very interesting to see what happens there, particularly because the Football League have passed it over to the Football Association because the Football League don't have the regulations to deal with it. Maybe they maybe they should put it to all the rest of the clubs like they did us with our points deduction. They don't have the regulations because it's, it's sort of massive what they've done. There's seven strikes against them on all this stuff and two of them are after they were told to sort it out and they just haven't. It's not like when clubs play an ineligible player just because they haven't filled in a bit of paperwork and then faxed it in. They've just... Willfully deceived. Yeah. And it, I would mention as well, without dwelling on it, Anybody who says that um, while Leeds are doing so well in the league, we shouldn't ask for transparency in the dealings from Ken Bates and his uh, somewhat anonymous ownership organisation. This is what can happen. It's like it can be fine on the pitch, but if you've got slight, if something 
just comes to light off it, bang. Piece of paper just goes amiss somewhere and uh, it, things can crumble around you fairly quickly. Spiral out of control. <laughs> yeah, heed that warning. We should give a quick mention to Ben Fry, actually. Uh, and his uh, fantastic performance on LUTV the other week. We were complaining. My children time. were listening. <laughs> I don't have any, but still. Children were listening. <laughs> we were complaining last time that it, it wasn't worth £52 subscription, but if they keep up broadcasting at that standard, I might, I might actually renew. I can't rely on YouTube for my footage of uh, Ben Fry inadvertently swearing and then uh, forgetting to edit it out. God Terrible. forbid we should ever do something like that. Terrible sort of thing, yeah. And finally, we want to give a very quick mention to what a new section for this podcast. We're going to call it Sweets for Shouts, I guess. Uh, as we've, <laughs> we've received more confectionery. After the Swiss chocolates we got from Leeds Lasso 09 the other week, uh, we have some more. Yes, while well, selling the uh, fabulous Square Ball magazine at the ground on Saturday, a lovely young lady called Sarah gave us a box of chocolates. I think to share out for the podsters here. So I didn't eat them all on Saturday. It was very noble. Yeah, it was very yeah. restrained. I'm a, it was an unopened box when it came here. There so. were four boxes. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a lovely box, but Oddie had filled it with uh, with, with cheap mounds. <laughs> That's how it arrived. Yeah, th- thank you for the box of cheap mounds and gravel. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, thank you. Yeah, we, we, thank you, Sarah. If you'd like to drop us a line at podcast at squareball.net, we'll give you a proper mention with your full name and yeah. details. I thought you were going to say we'd send us something back. Don't start that. <laughs> this isn't no, a it's, slot it's shop. One way. It's, all, it's only one yeah, way. Yeah, you'd be pleased to know with all this confectionery that's getting sent in, we're all gradually expanding our waistlines anyway as we sit here uh, on an evening doing this. I came in here like Scott Sellers. I'll leave like Neil Kilkenny. <laughs> Uh, we're just mentioning the Squareball magazine. Nice time to segue into that. Magazine issue eight is on sale now. Let's have a quick, quick run through of the stuff that's in there. I can't get past the cover. The cover's fantastic. The photo of Neil Kilkenny uh, rolling his eyes. That We caught that photo while well, you did, Michael, when we were up at the uh, the White Rose Centre at Sainsbury's. I was delighted to catch that. It's such a, it's such a lovely expression, and Becky looking on. Uh, really adds to it. I always think it, look, it looks, looks like kind of adoringly at him. Does Becky on the cover? If he's looking like he can see daylight through Kilkenny's ears. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely get that picture up. In fact, you can see it on the squareball.net on the um, on the front page. Have a look on there, and you'll see the photo exactly uh, that we mean. Because us blathering on about a photo <laughs> on this podcast is not the best. Uh, yeah. Or you could buy it and get it. Yeah, but again, minutes. they'll have to do that at the squareball.net or in person at the ground, of course. But yeah, so we've got all the uh, the guide to all our loanees since 2004, put together by our good friend at thebeatinggeneration.co.uk. But and it's a big but, Mr. Couples with daft sod, including, <laughs> including club captain Richard. Now <laughs> we might issue some stickers with the next one, so you can you can. Put them over, uh, <laughs> put them in the gaps, and cover up Brett Ormerod is my advice. Or I mean, the, the Brett Ormerod, he, he looks, he doesn't look well the way he's been, <laughs> he's been drawn. No, it's lovely. It's like one of those, it's like one of the things you get in um, a Sunday newspaper where they do like a, a, a poster of British castles, um, or you know, a guide to seabirds. Yes, insect yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, that you may see things you'll see at the seaside, and but it, it's uh, instead it's um, Jeff Orsfield and uh, Stephen O'Halloran. It was Stephen O'Halloran. Aston Villa left back got injured in the warm up, never played. God, it really one is. One of our better loan signings, <laughs> yeah. But also in there, Adam Johnson, who's now, you know, doing Yeah, a lot he of was rubbish for us, wasn't he? Yeah, he was just a young, younger man, wasn't he? Yeah, but he was rubbish. Why is he good now? It isn't fair. Not to mention highlights such as Hugo Echiog, uh, Wayne Andrews. 
My personal favourite, Mark DeVries. <laughs> so, yeah, have a look at that. It's in the current issue of The Square Ball. Also in their article, a letter from 1992, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a very long thing as well, so we're having to split it over three issues, but the first one is in this current issue. And does somebody want to give a quick rundown of what's contained therein? I'll read Paul Gill uh, got in touch with this thing. It's a letter that he, he wrote at the end of the 1991-92 season to his friend uh, John, who had gone on an around-the-world trip and had been uncontactable since... Uh, Christmas that year. Because we didn't have the internet, of course, at this stage. It was a very different age. And he left just after he was a game into the trilogy with Scum when we played them three times over uh, Christmas and New Year. So Leeds were top top of the league by one point and Scum had uh, two games in hand. And he does a game-by-game uh, rundown and sent it to uh, to his friend John when he reached Australia so that he could relive um, the end of the season. And now he sent it to us. So that we can uh, we can relive it. It took me a long time reliving it to realise that in the second game he mentions uh, shite smell <laughs> was brilliant. Um, was that Schmeichel? It was Paul <laughs> Peter. Peter Schmeichel. Peter shite smell. Um, and it's things like that that you just don't get from uh, most other retrospectives because <laughs> they weren't because this isn't retrospective written at the time, which is its true value and it's great great reading. Also in there, could you run football on TV? Oddy, you wrote this one. It's just a little tongue in cheek look. A little at, bit uh, of nonsense. Just see if you were fit enough to see uh, see your way through TV and what you could put on there. You know, for one of the sample questions, you know, a goal is about to be scored in a World Cup match. What do you do? Do you a close up on the player or b cut to adverts? Basically, <laughs> yeah, really good. So, uh, good, good little parody in there. Check that one out. Uh, article from you that you wrote on the blog, Moscow White about Andy Hughes drawing parallels with the side before self belief of Billy Bremner, which we've mentioned before on the podcast. Yeah, you can read it in on paper now. With a photo of Hughes with his shirt off, which, you know, we can never never too many excuses to run that again. So my personal favourite one, the uh, Phil Magson's article about a um, couple of things, vandalising scum merchandise. <laughs> which I have, to, I have to confess, always crosses my mind. When I I've, done it, it. I've done it a few times. I've mixed um, some of the adult magazines in with the Man United ones before. <laughs> um, and there's a great picture with Bobby Charlton with um, a child with his eyes blanked out, which, which gives, <laughs> gives me a little chuckle every time I've looked at it. But I must confess, I have um, vandalised. I think we all have. Man United yeah. produce on yeah. more than one occasion. And quite deservedly so. And well. if you haven't, I urge you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Criminal damage. Exactly. <laughs> Just a little lighter up inside a shirt <laughs> can easily damage things. Just for the record, we should probably say don't set fire to Man United things. Not if you're indoors. Um, if you can get away with it, I say do. <laughs> probably not don't if get people caught. are wearing the garments. <laughs> don't get caught, but do do it. <laughs> right, um, and in there as well... Sinking to emotional depths, the 2003-2004 season part two article written by you, Moscow. Crikey, that was a depressing time, wasn't it? Yeah, relegated. I'd hate to spoil the end for anybody who's hoping <laughs> to read it without knowing what happens. Yeah, it's a strange mixture of uh, of the relegation, but also being saved from financial oblivion by um, Gerald Krasner and co, which um, uh, I think even then there was immediately alarm, alarm bells start ringing. Well, they sound like, like a, a stand-up bunch of chaps. Anybody who's got Geoffrey Richmond involved... Well, the funny thing about it, I mean, I mean, if you remember, Geoffrey Richmond was the ex-Bradford City chairman who'd walked away from their administration, um, happy as a lark, and he started off with his son was on the, was on our new board. And then it turned out Geoffrey had an office at Elland Road. Then it turned out he was just advising them. Then he sent a fax round to all the football league clubs saying he would be handling transfers. Then he told the newspapers he was <laughs> going to be chief executive... Then he mentioned it to the rest of the boards. He was like, you haven't put any money in. So it's that even- traditional football way of going, yes, but I've done it before. Yes, you cocked it up. <laughs> yeah, but still, 
was, was it sorry? Was it Richmond? Or was it Scarborough as well? Yeah, and they didn't. Yeah. We were linked with shakes, we were linked with uh, Ugandan property magnets, we were, even Professor Mackenzie had a bid in Trevor Cherry, he was always seems to be there. Trevor Cherry, why haven't you tried to buy us lately? It used to be an almost uh, <laughs> But you kind of scoff, you scoff at the, the shakes and the Ugandans and it's actually all becoming true in, in the real Premier League these days. Well, it just become true in a way because it was Trevor Birch who's possibly the only um, football chief executive that Leeds United fans have put the name on the back of their shirts for because he just negotiated Roman Abramovich taking over Chelsea came straight from there to Leeds um, and negotiated Gerald Krasner for us and we were all very grateful at the time <laughs> yeah but it, I but think just on Trevor Birch he did employ Mickey Adams at Sheffield United so Trevor Birch has made mistakes as have we all but um, <laughs> but he did manage to keep us going possibly longer than we would have done without him and, and here we are today and then it ends as a picture of uh, predictably Alan Smith in tears at Bolton. <laughs> At Bolton. Yeah, not just generally. Let's right, let's pull it back up. If you want it's to buy, if you want to, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement for the magazine. But if you it's do not want with to a buy broken it. leg, we might print that next time if people need cheering up. No, <laughs> yeah, if you do want to buy the magazine, get it online at thesquareball.net. You can get it in digital format, as we said earlier on in the podcast, uh, which is free of postage. You can also buy the paper copy on there, and it's also available in paper copy. Uh, at the external corners of Ellen Road for the home matches. Look out for Oddie and Michael down there. And also on the website at thesquareball.net, you can find the blog, which we're all taking part in and writing some lovely stuff. So have a read of that. Let us know what you think. Um, loads of original writing on there and all the best bits of the historical magazine. And if that's all for now, then, we should probably wind it up and say ta Back in a couple of weeks, anybody? Yeah, we'll talk about the Sheffield United game for hours. <laughs> yes, it'll be the only <laughs> game we've got to talk about. And Snoddy for Scotland. Yes, bed yourselves in. It's an international week, of course, that week, isn't it? So uh, we can have a week off from the stresses and strains at Ellen Road. Right then, we're off. Um, I'll speak to you in a fortnight. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from Michael Normanson. Goodbye. And Moscow White. Goodbye. And of course, Oddie. Goodbye. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Drop us a line either via email, that's podcast at thesquareball.net. Get us on Facebook, tweet us at thesquareball, or you can find all our contact details on the website, that's thesquareball.net. And thank you for listening. We'll speak to you in a fortnight. The Squareball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. Hold up. 